Hi, beautiful soul fam. Welcome. You are about to go on one of the most fun, refreshing, and powerful voyages ever on Ceremony Circle Podcast. I'm your host, shaman, and author, Allison Charles. And today's guest is truly one of the most delightful human beings I've ever been able to share space with. And her name is Serena Dyer Pisoni. And if her name rings a bell, it's because her father is the late renowned spiritual teacher named the father of motivation by Oprah, Dr. Wayne Dyer. Wayne wrote more than 40 books. 21 of them became New York Times bestsellers. And his first book is one of the best-selling books of all time, having sold over 100 million copies. I know it's so it's so miraculous. It's so mind-blowing and so inspiring. And I have to say, Serena, in my opinion, is absolutely an embodiment of the deep wisdom mixed with an epic level of down-to-earthness that both her father and mother, Marceline, are examples of. Serena and her sister, Sage, have written a book that is now one of my all-time favorites. It's called The Knowing. And in today's episode, we cover so much. What The Knowing is and the three things you can do right now to return to your knowing, why joy is so important, how to embody that sage Jesus type of love, amen, being loving to those who are kind and unkind, offering forgiveness even to those who attempt to hurt, shame, bully, etc., how to do this, and why this is the most liberating and powerful place one can know. Miracles. Serena and her sister Sage have been witness to and experienced many of them. Serena shares how her husband narrowly escaped a long prison sentence and the specific Hawaiian prayer that got him through all the layers of that journey. The great art of having life experiences transform and ascend you, you know, Phoenix rising kind of vibes, rather than having those experiences break you. And this is something that Serena knows a lot about, having lost both her father, the aforementioned Dr. Wayne Dyer in 2015, and just two years later, losing her young stepson. And one of the most special parts of today's Ceremony Circle Voyage is talking about the ways Wayne still shows up in Serena's life, the ways he very boldly lets it be known that he has not left, even though he has departed this earthly realm. And around this topic, I share one of the most powerful spiritual experiences I have ever had. It moved me so deeply. It moved me to tears. It was so profound. And I'll share a little bit now. So while preparing for this interview, Wayne actually made his presence very much known to me. Now, in the episode, I share all about what he told me and the incredible divine downloads that came in during my time with him. But for now, I'll just say that there was a black bird involved. And Wayne used this black bird to reveal to me, to show me that, yes, it was really him, which makes total sense for two reasons. Number one, my work with the animals. Many of you know my book, Animal Power. It has just been released to the world. One of the most incredible moments of my life. And you can check it all out at www.allisoncharles.com backslash animal power. And Allison Charles is spelled A-L-Y-S-O-N 
C-H-A-R-L-E-S.com backslash animal power. And if you pre-order the book, you'll get a complimentary video shamanic journey guided by me for you to meet your power animal. And the other reason that Wayne revealing to me is a blackbird is significant, you will find out in today's interview. And Serena and I talk openly about the grief and death portal. Every conversation like this helps death to be a part of life that we are less fearful of and makes it less taboo. Two things I'm very much a fan of. Now, Serena is one of eight children. So we talk about what it was like growing up with two sages as mom and dad, the monks that they would go visit and the jungles and so many other incredible childhood stories. We also cover why cancel culture goes completely against the entire point of us all being here on earth. Oh my goodness, this interview is a gem and Serena is a true gem. I actually cannot wait to listen to this episode again myself to relive it a bit. So without further ado, get ready to swim in some very divinely tapped in otherworldly waters with me and Serena dyer Pisoni. Well, I have really been looking forward to this interview with you. Yes, so much. And I have to admit, you are the first person that I've had on Ceremony Circle Podcast where has four (laughs) pages of notes. And I was like, oh my God, Allison, today, you know, we've been really busy this week. I was like, you got to whittle it down. And I just couldn't. So we're just going to have this organic flow. Okay. That makes me so happy that you have so much that you want to talk about from the book. So much. You know, I used to be a very avid reader. I mean, hundreds of books and I would move. Every time I would move, I would move all of the books. Really? Yes. I just love books so much. But then I took a little bit of a break. I think when I had my spiritual awakening and I really needed to go inward and learn how to trust myself and the wisdom opening up. So I took a bit of break from reading, but I have to say now that I'm hosting a podcast Mm -hmm. and I need to start reading more again, I truly could not put your book down. Oh, good. Thank you. It is incredible. And um, for everyone joining us, this book is co-written with Serena's sister, Sage. Yes. And it's called The Knowing. And I actually want to start there because this topic of the knowing is probably my most favorite topic in all of life. And so to me, it brought up, um, the knowing to me means living by the calls and being in tune with yourself and the divine wisdom and and truth that we are and being willing to open up connection points into places that we feel called and comfortable to connect with, whether it's Great Spirit, Great Mother Earth, Ascended Masters, whatever, and being in tune with those places of knowing and living from that place. And your definition in the book says, the knowing is the ability to connect to our divine best self. And when we do, our lives align, make sense, and we realize our purposes, both small and enormous. And it also means, and tell me if I'm mispronouncing this, Satori. I, well, I always thought it was Satori, but I don't know because it could easily be Satori. So Okay, so we'll go with both today. Okay. <laughs> and that also translates to sudden enlightenment or the inner compass we are all born with. 
And I was curious, you know, when it comes to time to realize we want to write a book, it's sometimes it can be challenging to figure out what to write about. And why did this particular topic become so clear for you? It didn't become so clear for me at first. We did not have the title, The Knowing. Originally, we were going to title it Remembering, but it became clear as Sage and I would read each other's writing and kind of decide which direction we were going to go with some of the stories that we were telling or the signs that we were including. It became clear that the one thing that kept coming up was this phrase, the knowing, was this idea that that the guidance is always there. Mm. But sometimes we are so distracted and we are so consumed and we are so out of alignment and we are so blocked off from even seeing the signs, the synchronicities, the messages, even when they're like falling in our laps and hitting us in the face. And I think that the knowing became the theme and it became the title because it is something that every person has, whether they had Wayne Tyre as their dad or not. There is a part of us, each and every single one of us, that knows when we are when we are telling the truth, when we are feeling good. And my dad used to say that the difference between feeling good and feeling God is zero. It's just one O. It's nothing. God is good. We have that awareness within ourselves, but we don't always pay attention to it. That's definitely true. And I'm glad you gave those different examples of what can pull us out of our knowing because they're kind of infinite when you think about it, whether it's, you know, media or or a fear, an unconscious fear that we have inside of ourselves mm-hmm. of really getting in alignment with our astounding power or our purpose here. So many things can pull us out. But what I loved was learning that from a very young age, you're one of eight kids. Yeah. And I love that you share in your book that your parents never told you guys what to do, but they insisted that you, all of you kids, already knew inside what to do. So the cultivation of this knowing happened at such a young age. Yeah, it's interesting. I have not thought of it that way. I haven't heard it phrased like that. I mean, I never really put it together that, I mean, I guess I did put it together. I just didn't remember until you just said it now, but because they didn't tell us what to do, what to believe, who to be, who to love, how to dress, what to think, they didn't tell us those things. They insisted that we came here, each of us, with a soul and a purpose, and that the quieter we became, the more connected in tune we would get to mm-hmm. that to that presence to that infinite part of us do you have any recollection when you reflect back to when you were growing up when you were a little girl little serena did you can you remember a time where you 
we're sitting with yourself in that way and and we're practicing going within to figure out what to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, do you remember any of that? Yeah, I had, um, I remember one time my mom said, I was studying for a test. I don't know why this just popped into my head, but it, it, it relates. I was studying for a test and I was not really very good at like science or math type things. And um, I remember- Not my forte either, by the way. Yeah, definitely <laughs> not mine either. And I remember um, just not getting it, whatever I was learning in the science book. And I remember my mom saying, you contain within you all of the infinite wisdom of the universe. And you contain within you the infinite wisdom of every woman that ever lived before you. And she said, but just remember that what you tell yourself about yourself becomes true. And she said, while you're sitting here telling yourself that you're so bad at science and you just hate science and you're never going to do good at science, you know, you're saying all of that to yourself, but everything that's in this book, you already know, you're already connected to it. And you have to get back into that space. Mm. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like probably nine, 10. I remember thinking that what that meant was that I could take my science book and I could put it under my pillow and that I would not have to study because I would just like marinate in the material that it contained. Classic oh. osmosis. <laughs> yes. I have also tried this technique. Yes. And that is what I thought she meant that like, I didn't have to study. I could just, I was already, I already knew it all. I just had to like get in sync with it and I could get in sync with it by like sleeping on it, you know? And so anyway, as I got older, I understood what she meant, which was that the solution to any test, any problem was within. And I, I just love, and I, you know, hope, you know, Luke and I do plan to bring forth a human into this world at some point soon. And if we are blessed to have that opportunity, I really hope that I also, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I will yay with you. Um, I really want to instill these similar teachings because it is so important that we learn, especially at a young age, to not give our power away. Yeah. Okay. So if you, if you want your child to embody that, to get that, then continue to demonstrate it. Because I said to Luke earlier in a conversation that what we do as parents, and I have three little kids, is so loud that our children cannot hear what we say. Mm. And the greatest gift that my parents gave me, both of them, in their own ways, was my mom always said that her dharma, her purpose, was to be a mother. And she was one and is one, seven, she had seven children, all natural. She aced that dharma. And uh, my dad said that his was to be a teacher and a speaker. And my parents did not say to me, Serena, go out and follow your dreams while they were simultaneously sacrificing their own. They lived their dharma without apology and they found their own worth in themselves and they honored it. And I know without a doubt that that gave me subconscious permission to do the same. Oh my gosh. Wow. But you're doing it. So your child already has a head start. Bless you for saying that. And yes, I do. I will agree with you. You know, I do, I do give myself credit and honor for very steadfastly um, embodying exactly what we are talking about. And I have had to exercise it 
over and over and over and over again, sometimes on a daily basis. Um, and it's also part of my teachings to the world as well. And, and so it brings to mind that you share there are three keys to returning to your knowing because I'm sure our soul fam that's sitting with us right now, they're curious how to, you know, cultivate or expand their ability to be in this place that we're talking about in their worth, in their knowingness, in their power. And the three keys you share are giving love, offering kindness, and paying attention. And I was so struck and moved by those. Why those three? Oh, because those three are everything. Because they are everything. Because everything comes from love. Everything. It is my belief, it is my understanding that God is love and that they are the same, that love and God. So I say God, I don't mean religious sense. I mean universe the place we all originate, the place we all return. And that energy, that presence is not just always loving, but it's always providing. It's always giving. And it is it is always of service. Mm-hmm. So even though there are things that happen in our lives that we could look at and say, how could God do this to me? Or this is so bad. There's nothing anybody could say that would make this good. And the only thing I could say to that is that I, I've been there, especially after my stepson passed away unexpectedly as a teenager. And I am now at a place where I can see the unfolding of God even in that, even in his death. Because if we come here, as I, I was saying before, if we come here on a round-trip ticket, then we know it's a guarantee there's going to come a time where every single one of us have that return trip called. We have our, our return trip due, and we place so much fear on it because we believe that our experience here is the one life we have to live or the, um, the only thing that's real. And I was sort of raised, you know, to not believe everything that my five senses tell me and to to understand that this is the classroom. This experience as a human, as Serena in this lifetime is the classroom. And as Ramdas said, we are all just walking each other home, that where we go is home. And so there's not so much to fear when we understand that each of us needs different amounts of time in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And we have different lessons that our soul comes here to get. And some of us don't get the lessons. We just repeat them and repeat them and repeat them until we don't get them or get them. But ultimately, what we view as bad or as um, just an awful experience can also be viewed as a gift an opportunity, a teacher, a place to grow from. Mm-hmm. And the way you view it is going to determine the experience that you have. And I can say for sure that Mason, that my stepson who passed away, that his life was not cut short, mm. even though he died at 19, that that was his time. And I can say that because. I feel it. I feel him and I know it. And 
I, I don't know. I guess I, it's like we have a choice and we can either live as though God is like with withholding miracles and cures from some and offering like remedies and healings for others. Um, and we can live as though you know, anything can happen at any time and, and stay in a state of fear. Or we can live as though everything is a miracle and mm-hmm. it's all just part of the experience that we signed up to have. Yes. Letting yourself on a pretty constant basis, tune in to what is the teaching here? What is mm-hmm. the lesson here? Yeah. How I know that in whatever challenging wave, there's some alchemical miracle mm-hmm. within that. And right. it, it's up to me to be yes. in those, to let myself be in those waters. Yes. Yes. And to sometimes it does feel like you're drowning. Yes. I know. I've drowned many times. <laughs> and, and looked around and blamed everybody else and wondered why I was here and why God could do this to me and why I was so bad that I was attracting all of these bad things and why my energy was so low that I was experiencing all of these difficulties and traumas and difficult experiences. But it was only when I could kind of begin to understand that if I accept that my soul came here to grow, then I'm not going to grow by staying the same. And I'm not going to grow by not being challenged. And I'm not going to grow by having to face zero difficulties. I am going to grow by facing the difficulties and being able to find love, Mm -hmm. meaning, generosity, goodness, kindness, despite yes. my circumstances. Yes. Yes. That is the ultimate. I would agree that in my perspective, what you just shared is the ultimate g- grandest teaching of our earth walk, of this earth life is learning. And for me, it has taken immense amounts, years of very dedicated focus training and practice with this. But like you said in the book, this was one of my favorite things. Measuring spiritual growth is not done by the number of difficulty or difficult, you know, experiences in our lives. It's not measured by the amount, the number of them. It's measured by how we find ourselves responding to said difficulties or conflicts. And That is such truth because that is how you can really be witness to this kind of work, to this spiritual path paying off. It's exactly in that. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, you know, when when you're on the shamanic path or hero's journey, spiritual path, whatever we want to call it, whatever we're all doing, well, maybe not all, but those of us (laughs) who lean in and open the door are doing, you know, we're, we're working with these ethereal knowings and these whispers and these unseen realms and we're we're going inward and alchemizing and doing all these spiritual practices that are not concrete like the wood on this chair and 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 like this plant and so it does take such courage and devotion and trust and willingness to stay the course yes especially when you have an attachment to the outcome. Meaning, you know, we do all the spiritual stuff and we think, I'm going to do all this stuff because I'm going to get this result by this day. I'm going to get this job. This person's going to fall in love with me. I'm going to, 
so we we have an attachment to the result of our spiritual work. Mm-hmm. We have an attachment to the package that it gets delivered in. And sometimes people give up right before the miracle happens because actually I read about this one time in um about uh, Victor Frankl when he was in a concentration camp and he explained how um, one of the phenomenon that stuck with him as a psychiatrist who was now in a concentration camp as a prisoner was that his fellow prisoners would become attached to a date. They would say like, we are going to be liberated by, Mm. and then they would say, and I was out doing this and I saw that number and then I got it in a sign and they had essentially received what they believed were confirmations or signs that that was the day they were going to be liberated. And when they were not liberated on that day, more often than not, those people died the next day. Mm. The very next day they died because they had no more hope Mm. because their attachment was to the day, was to the number that they thought the day was going to fall on. Their attachment was to how freedom came and when it came and that it came on the day that they believed it was going to come. But he understood as, as a psychiatrist and as a brilliant, I mean, he was like an angel on this earth as a brilliant, brilliant man. He understood that having that attachment and that expectation of the outcome, it will only lead to hopelessness because when, when it doesn't happen on the day you think it should or in the manner that you think it should or when you think it should, it's a lot harder to stay the course, mm-hmm. as you were saying. You know, mm-hmm. like when all these things are so esoteric and abstract and spiritual and not necessarily tangible, mm-hmm. it can become really difficult to stay connected when things aren't showing up in our lives when we think they should or how yeah. we think they should. Yeah, and the how we think we should is such an important thing. And that's why Surrender, I my first book is called Animal Power, and it's a, a power animals compendium. But before the animals came to me and instructed me to change the book concept up over to that, my first book concept was about surrender. And that has for, that for me has been a top key of living a life that's filled with peace and fulfillment because I surrender each day, you know, to great spirit, great mother earth and the divine wisdom, love, light and truth that is me and lives within me. And I always just ask you know, for for whatever is going to serve the highest, greatest good. So I know that anything that's entering into my life is serving me. And it's amazing coming in to, to support. That's amazing that you know that and that you have put the the time in, because I know you said it's a, it's been a practice, but it's amazing that you've done it and that you do it because I still sometimes don't always view things as as gifts right away. You know, sometimes I think, I had an experience uh, when I got here, when I got to Austin in my, in my Uber. And, um, you know, at first, I mean, I could tell you that story briefly. So I got, I got to the Austin airport and I had requested an Uber to take me to the hotel. And the, um, you know, usually when you are doing like an airport pickup in like an Uber or taxi, usually the driver will get out to help you with the bags. It's kind of normal. But this woman, um, she didn't get out. She didn't put the window down. So I was like looking in her window, kind of like knocking, like, hey, are you... Like I could see the license plate was for me, but she didn't put her window down. So I didn't think maybe she was really for me. And um, anyway, she didn't put her window down when I kind of knocked and said, hi, she just popped the trunk. Mm. So I go to the back of the car and I'm struggling with my bags. And 
I get the bags in and I get in the car and I, um, I'm like, hi, I'm Serena. And, uh, hi. And she turned up the, she was listening to an audiobook and she turned it up. So I was like, okay. (laughs) So my first reaction was kind of like, okay, like bitch. Like Mm. that's what I was kind of thinking. Yeah. That was rude. And, and I was kind of thinking I am like, I'm going to, I'm going to show her, like, I'm going to, that part of me was rising. Yep. And as we were getting closer to the hotel and I was forced to listen to the budget Nista because that was the book she was listening to. And this woman was talking about on the book about like savings and how to save and how to budget and all these different things. And she got to a part where she was talking about when you have an unexpected miracle. And she said, those are the mm moments, the UM moments. When you have one of those you particularly want to save that, save that money that you got unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. So I'm listening to this and suddenly I, I understood that, you know, it's one thing to talk the talk. It's another to walk it. And I had a choice. Yes. Was I going to double? Was I going to match what I perceived she was doing, which was being negative, right? Being nasty, being cold. Was I going to match it? therefore doubling the energy that I didn't Mm. like in the first place in the car. Such a good teaching. Or could I put love there? So I I did. When we got to the hotel, I was so excited because I knew I was going to give her $100. And I was so excited because I couldn't wait to do it because I just knew how good I was going to feel and how good she was going to feel. So we, we get to the hotel and again, she doesn't, she doesn't get out. She doesn't make any indication that she's going to get out. She just pops the trunk. So I opened my door and I just leaned forward and I just put a hundred dollar bill there. And I said, this is for your uh, unexpected miracles fund. And she like flipped that seatbelt off, like scrambled to get out. She was like, are you serious? Thank you. Like, you know, freaking out. She was so excited and she was so grateful and I felt so good. And I'm sure she's not going to forget that. But the point of that is my dad used to say that, you know, in the Tao, it says the sage is kind to the kind and kind to the unkind because mm-hmm. kindness is his nature. Mm-hmm. And my dad used to say that if you are not generous when you are poor, you will not be generous when you are rich mm. because generosity has nothing to do with your circumstances and everything to do with your nature. Mm-hmm. And in that car, my first nature was. I'm going to show you. Mm-hmm. But my work in progress nature was I am generous because. And loving. Because that is my nature, even though it's not. I mean, even though it can be, I have to work at it though. Yeah. And I love that you shared that story. I saw it on your Instagram. I was like, I love this because it's it, there's such rich teachings in that one. I find a lot of my Uber and cab experiences are very spiritual. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, um, yeah. Uh, like random <laughs> angels that are just assigned to escort us to where we're going. It's true. And I didn't think she was an angel. At but, first. Right. But the fact that you, I mean, that to me goes back to, you know, where you can witness how you're responding, mm-hmm. that whole teaching, because you were able to be so consciously aware of what was kicking up inside of you. You could hear the thoughts that you were thinking, this bitch, like, <laughs> what the hell, you know? And I can't say I wouldn't have felt right. the same way. And yet you stayed with it. 
and you remained in an open field within yourself and around yourself to allow something else to start to inform you. And to me, that's that's a big deal. That to me shows and reflects your lifelong immersion into meditation and whatever other spiritual practices you have, that you could make that pivot and go from one end of the spectrum of emotions to unconditional love. Because unconditional love is the most powerful and force. I couldn't always do that. For a long time, actually, for a big chunk of my life, I would have definitely not done that. I'm aware of doing it now because I'm aware that if you are looking for love and there's not love there, put love and you will find it there. Yes. I'm aware that I can put it there. I'm aware now, probably because I've had some big, bold teachers in my life, but I'm aware now that I can always put what it is I am seeking Mm -hmm. in my energy field, Mm -hmm. in my awareness, in my experience in life. And when I do that, I know that I'll get more of it. So I know that the motivation shouldn't be to get more of it, but it is for me. I, I want more of of the good feeling and I want more of the abundance and I want more of the love and I can't seek it all day long Mm -hmm. by just wanting it and desiring it. I have to become it Mm -hmm. in order to align with it. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And the last little bit I'll share, you know, I recently was witness to my own version of, of this moment that you're sharing with us. And it was so profound for me to also see in action the years of trying to get here when it was a classic example of um, just feeling so misunderstood judged in such an opposite way that I know my truth to be in a public way. And, you know, I could have reacted in a, in a lot of different ways. And my initial thing that kicked up was, I must defend my name. I must defend my honor. Mm-hmm. And that was a big fire. Yeah. And it was, it, that flame was trying to consume me. But right. then I sat at my altar and I really sat with it. And I talked it out a little bit at my altar with Luke, and it was just so clear. The highest thing for me to do was just to simply send those people in that act of judging, just send them love. Mm-hmm. And it is so hard. It really is because it's easy to love those that love us, and it's easy to be kind to those that are kind to us. It's a true sage, as the Tao says, it's a true master of love that can send love to those who wish to harm us. Actually, let me just say this. What you were saying earlier about a lot of these things that are like energy work and they're not tangible. And, and I was saying that, you know, it's, it can be easy to give up on them because you're not getting the results when you want them. And um, I believe, wholeheartedly, I believe that um, part of the reason my husband ended up having the 11th hour miracle of the reversal of his case was because even in the midst of his trial where his name was being, you know, drugged through the mud and, and his reputation was completely, you know, in the shitter. And, he, and in a very public way. In a very public way. Didn't the, one of the NBC News show up yes, at your door the yes. day that they were taking C- yes, the... Yes, yes, did, yeah. And then they, like, put it on TV. And 
anyway, they, he had, you know, all that public stuff happen and all of that um, name bashing and reputation shaming. And, and even with all of that going on, all of his assets frozen and facing prison because of the, the case the prosecutors were bringing, he learned, adopted, and committed to the Ho'oponopono prayer. And uh, when the trial was completed and the jury came back with one guilty count, acquittal on, on the other 12, but one guilty count, that would have been the moment to throw in the towel and say, I'm not doing any of this spiritual stuff. It's all BS. None of it worked. I still am facing prison. And, but he didn't. He continued and said, and even to this day, he says that the, the most uh, peaceful he has ever felt in his life was when he was going through the trial. And that is because that was the, the first time in his life that he was so focused mm-hmm. on finding that place within him mm-hmm. that was full of peace. And nothing could touch it. What they said in the trial, what the jury came back with, he was so connected to that part of him that is full of peace and contentment that everything that was taking place around him ceased to, to impact him. It ceased to matter. Now, it, I don't mean it didn't matter. I mean, he was, he was a human. I mean, it still impacted him, but he could still go to that place mm-hmm. of peace. And then after the trial and the sentencing, and then when he didn't en- end up having to go to prison the day before he was supposed to start, you know, his practice sort of waned. And so did mine because it's, you know, we find ourselves in prayer when we're in an emergency or when we're desperate. We don't always continue it. And continuing it is, is where the miracles show up, mm-hmm. you know? And for those who are unfamiliar with that Hawaiian prayer, will you share what it means? Yeah. So Ho'oponopono is um, a prayer that was developed by a psychiatrist at a hospital in, I believe it was Honolulu. And he was the chief psychiatrist of a psychiatric ward where the, the prior psychiatrists had all quit within like a few minutes, a few months really, um, of getting the job because they couldn't handle how out of control, I guess, how mentally unstable some of the patients were. And this doctor, he came to the hospital and within, I believe it was two years of him taking over as chief psychiatrist, the entire hospital ward closed because they didn't have any need for it any longer because all of the patients were cured, were healed, were better. And when he was interviewed, and this is a, like a famous story about this doctor, when he was interviewed about what he did or how he accomplished that, he's, they said, you know, what did you do when you met with each of the patients? And he said, this is as woo-woo as it gets. He said, I never met with a single patient. I never met with one of them. But each day I held their file and I ho'oponoponoed them. And all that is, is picturing the person, the energy, the name, the situation, the drama, the lawsuit, the loss, the insecurity, the fear, picturing it and saying and sending to it, I love you. Thank you. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. 
doesn't have to go in order. It could be, I'm sorry. Thank you. Please forgive me. I love you. And that those four (laughs) phrases, I guess, I guess they're phrases, those four lines of the prayer encompass all of the energy that we need to heal, Mm -hmm. to heal anything. And my husband each day said those four lines over and over to the prosecutors. I was wondering who exactly he said it Mm -hmm. to, to the prosecutors. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And for those of you with us, you know, perhaps you can even take a moment right now and maybe even pause um, our chat to sit with that and think of what person or situation Mm -hmm. you can send those four phrases to. Yeah, because the thing is that forgiving even if maybe you're not the the one who's wrong, right? Offering forgiveness to somebody who has wronged you obviously is important. We you know, we know that. It's important because it frees you from your tie to them and it helps you reclaim your own power. But we so often forget that we have to forgive ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um I think I forgive you is not just like toward whatever person you're imagining. It's to me I think it's and I forgive myself for even aligning with you or this experience in the first place. I forgive myself for needing this teacher to show up in my life. Mm-hmm. Because maybe you don't feel like you need to forgive yourself, but I don't know, in every situation I think that there's an element of self-forgiveness, self-love, self-understanding that is crucial to healing. Mm-hmm. And speaking of self-understanding, your father <laughs> Dr. Wayne Dyer seemed to have a lot <laughs> of self-understanding. Yeah. And when I was reading your book, I was so intrigued at his willingness to do inquiry and have a self-understanding of what he viewed his relationship to death being Mm -hmm. and how it wasn't a foreign topic of conversation in your house. And there's so much I want to get into around all of this. And so if anything, as I'm talking, just starts to percolate up inside of you, you know, go ahead and interject. But I love that you guys talked about death because as you alluded to earlier in our chat, you know, especially in our society and our culture over here in the U.S., there is so much fear ingrained Mm -hmm. in this topic. Yeah. And it's a guarantee. I mean, it's the only guarantee that we have in life. And sometimes we have so much fear about death that we forget to actually live. Our whole lives are, some people's whole lives are spent um, like wanting to avoid the inevitable. It's inevitable. Obviously, I think it's smart to put a seatbelt on. You know, I think it's good to not smoke. I think that there are things that we can do that are um, just smart and pro-life, right? But we can't forget to live. And what that really means is there's a part of you, there's a part of every single one of us that has something that excites our soul, something that calls to us in a way that we know it's what we're meant to be doing Mm -hmm. or being. And sometimes we can go through life thinking, I'll get to that, or um, being afraid of fulfilling our dharma, 
being afraid of doing what we feel called to do, being, being unworthy, feeling unworthy, feeling unworthy of going after it, of taking that risk of, of, I don't know, just showing up for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I guess I probably was too. I probably was a little afraid and thought like I had like all this time and I would do certain things when, you know, I definitely did that. I definitely thought that during the say the years of difficulty that I had, I thought like when I have all these things fixed, then I'll lose weight and stop drinking and write the book. And, and I guess because I know that this is a round trip ticket Mm -hmm. and I can talk about it in a way that isn't terrifying for me, it's helped me remember to actually live the as i call it the the death portal mm-hmm. the grieving and death portal has a lot of beauty in it mm-hmm. and the texture of it it's since my spiritual awakening i've only recently been brought into this portal and in my leaning in you know, almost at the exact same time, my mom had emergency surgery and, and almost lost her legs. And it was very confronting, obviously, to to know that what was occurring was very severe and she was in this emergency surgery and you don't know what mm-hmm. could happen. Mm-hmm. And a couple of days after that, I found out that the incredible, talented um, illustrator for my book, who was only 30 years old, he, he passed away. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah, it, you know, it, he... Had we had just completed Animal Power and got the news that it was his last work and and he and he died and so but your mom was okay she was okay okay, okay good she, yes yes she okay. has her legs and she got through the surgery and she is improving yes okay, thank good. you she's healing but what both of those simultaneous experiences brought me into was this exploration confronting being being faced with with death and and grieving you know the the death of the illustrator whose name is William Santiago and it was just a really enriching mystifying the texture when i would lean into that place and start to learn and ask it questions and feel what it feels to be in the energies of death dying grieving there's a lot of beauty in there. And one of my fellow um, medicine women friends, uh, her, her specialty in the shamanic teachings is she's a, a grief guide. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened and it, it, that she booked me a session with this doctor who specializes in grief. And it was actually before these two things happened. And so then I had this session with him to just learn more and more. And so I wanted to hear from you because, you know, we haven't shared yet. But your dad unexpectedly passed away in 2015. And as you've also shared, your stepson, Mason, very... 2017. So very Mm -hmm. recently passed away. So you have, in recent years, experienced the loss of two very significant teachers and people in your life. And so there's a lot of things I would love to discuss with you I guess we'll start with what the teachings were that came up for you, because I know that it was you who was on the phone with your dad's assistant when it became known that your father had transitioned. Mm -hmm. You were on the phone in that moment. Yeah. 
So I, I don't even think we put this in the book because it would have sounded, we would have sounded like we were crazy. So I'm going to say it here now because I think that you and your audience are like me. We're yes. all good crazy. So my dad, the reason Dee, my dad's assistant, who's a very good friend of mine, who I absolutely love her. The reason she couldn't get into his hotel room, she had a key. She couldn't get in because his deadbolt was on, was closed, you know, was turned on. And so she had to get security and they had to go through another room to get to like the connecting door to get a key to open that connecting door to, to my dad's room. So it was a crazy thing. She had a key to get into his room and her key didn't work and security didn't work because the deadbolt was on. So anyway, that was really, really, really out of character for my dad. In fact, mm. when he was in Australia, he was in Australia the three weeks leading up to his death. Um, he was with Sage, my sister, my co-author, and my other sister, Sky, and her husband, Mo. And Sage and my dad had connecting rooms all throughout New Zealand and Australia. And one time, Sage had put her deadbolt on because she was going to take a shower or something. She didn't want him to like open the door. And he said to her, in front of Sky and Mo, he said to, to them, I never, ever use my deadbolt in case there's an emergency mm. and somebody needs to get to me. Oh, I feel the power of this. <laughs> he said, I don't want there to be any unnecessary delay. So when we found out his deadbolt was on and Sage and Sky and Mo were like, that is so weird because we just talked about how he would never use a deadbolt. We all felt this feeling of like, why was that on? Why did you like? Why would you put your deadbolt on on the night you died of all nights? Mm. And even the name, yeah, exactly, exactly. I didn't even think of that, but yes, the deadbolt. Yeah, we should call it like this metal bolt. I don't know, but yes, D was swimming, and she was asking him over and over each day after he passed, like, why did you have your deadbolt on? Could I have? She went mm. to his hotel room that morning. Um, she was bringing him a green juice for his breakfast, the green juice that she made. And um, so she was bringing it to him and she went there and it was locked. So she couldn't get in. So she didn't think it was an emergency. She thought maybe he was just sleeping. So it was only a few hours later after trying him and trying him and trying his room and then going back that she got security involved while she was on the phone with me. And she kept asking him like in her subconscious or conscious or her, I don't know, in her mind after he passed, like, why did you put the deadbolt on? Could I have done something? Could I have gotten to you sooner? And she heard, she felt, she knew in, in one of these swims she was doing, because they used to swim together. Mm. He said to her, after, I know this is going to sound totally crazy. Not to us. Okay. <laughs> he said, after I left my body, the, the people that came to escort me, they helped me. We closed the deadbolt because he said, I didn't want you to be alone when you found me. I didn't want you to do it alone. And she said, I know this sounds really weird, but anyway, we had a psychic later on that didn't know anything about this that basically told us the exact same thing. She said, um, but why did I have Serena on the phone? Like, why not her husband? Or, And he said, it's part of Serena's path and she needed to be on the phone. And then she was like, but she's your daughter. Like why would, and she basically felt that he said, um, she's my strong one, mm -hmm. which is so funny because he used to say that to me all the time. 
um, like when my husband was arrested and, and I wanted to just, you know, crawl in bed and not get out. He kept saying, Serena, you're my strong one. Mm. You have the strength. You can get through it. Mm. And anyway, I feel like I'm open to that idea that even after he left his body, he was still taking action because Anita Morjani wrote a book called Dying to Be Me. And in that book, she she became a friend of my dad. And in that book, she explains her experience of having stage four uh, cancer. She had 26 tumors the size of lemons all throughout her body. And she was declared as, I believe she was actually declared as deceased because her heart stopped and she was on like a do not resuscitate order. She, there was just no hope. And she crossed she, she left her body. Mm-hmm. She saw her body in the hospital bed. She then saw the different family members of hers that were in different parts of the world mm-hmm. getting the news that she was not going to make it and that they needed to all come and gather. And she also saw her dad, who had already passed, who was there to greet her. And she was given a choice. And the choice was to come back into that cancer-filled body, but to commit to radical, radical self-love. And if she did that, she would be healed, but she had to teach it. She had to teach it. And if not, then she could continue on with her dad and go toward, you know, wherever she was heading, heaven, I guess. I don't know what you call it, but And she did not want to go back to that cancer-filled body. She said that the place that she was in, the feeling that she had was so good. Mm. It was like like a warm blanket on like a freezing cold afternoon. She said it was the best feeling she's ever experienced of what that felt like. And the idea of going back into this really, really sick body, it didn't feel good at all to her. But she did because she had this awareness that um, if she continued on having, you know, going toward heaven, her husband, who she loved really dearly, he would be right behind her. That his love and devotion for her was so significant Mm. that he wouldn't have a will to live if he lost her. Hmm. And so she made the choice to go back into this cancer-filled body. She wrote this incredible book about, about that experience and about how the only purpose here, the only job we have to do is to treasure our own magnificence. And that is the only way to stay connected to health, wealth, love, mm-hmm. abundance. But because I knew her, because I had read her book, I didn't disbelieve that my dad could have closed the deadbolt after he died because she could recount where each of her family members were standing, what they were wearing when they got that call. There was too many things that she saw and experienced firsthand. So if she could have that experience, why couldn't my dad have closed the deadbolt? And your dad too, in all of these different styles of conversations that you all would have, um, maybe just individually with him or as a collective family unit about death and dying and that transition, he would reiterate over and over, and I'm not going to get it verbatim, but just the concepts of like, I'm still going to be here. I'm still here. It's just a different version. Or if you can remember some of the ways that he kept preparing you guys. Yeah, that he would be um, one thought or one frequency away. One frequency away. Yeah. And that we're all connected still, no matter what. 
and that he would never leave because where would he go? And he kept referring to it as his next adventure. Yes, his next adventure or his next phase. And he would talk about it in a way that, and my mom does too. I mean, my mom is like incredible and she's 70 and she looks like she's like 30 and she's the embodiment of health, like natural health. She's always been, she's, she's the teacher. My dad was the student. And even she talks about it in a way that is like, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing this, I'm going to come back and haunt your asses. Like (laughs) she talks about it in a way that's lighthearted and fun. And I am so often finding myself recently in a position where people are reaching out to me after they lose someone. So suddenly I have become like how you said that your, your friend made you an appointment with a grief healer. Like, I feel like I've become like this, like grief expert in my little circle of friends. I never set out to be this. And in fact, I don't think of myself as an expert of anything, but here I am. And I think that the reason, uh, I keep getting this, like people, friends, acquaintances reaching out when they lose someone or when someone they know lost someone is because I don't talk about, and I was not raised to talk about death in a whisper. Mm -hmm. We so often talk about it as like, it's, we can't say it. Yeah. If we say it, we're going to contagious. We're going to get it. It's like contagious. We're going to get it. We whisper about like, oh, did you hear what happened? Or we don't talk about those who died. In some homes, their names become forbidden. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about them. They don't share stories about them. And I think, oh my God, my children know about Mason probably as much as they would if he were alive. Because if he were alive right now, he would be and alive. I mean, like in his body, he would be in his early twenties and he would probably not be hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. But because he's not in his body any longer, because he's not here we always talk about him. I mean, we celebrate his birthday and and I'll tell them a story if I see something like, oh, you know, Mason used to do this because my God, I want Mason to know and I want my dad to know that not only are they still people that I feel connected to as though they were just right here, but my experience with them on this earth, in this classroom, this time around, it has lasted. It has had a lasting impact on me. And it is something that I carry around always. And if I didn't talk about them, if I didn't say their names, if I didn't speak of them, wouldn't that fade? Wouldn't that kind of cease to be so, I don't know, strong? Mm -hmm. If I made their names forbidden in my home, my children would never know their brother and their grandpa. And, you know, the concept that with every death, there is a birth, there is a, there is a new version, a new iteration, a new thing that can then come alive. And so we could view this transitioning into the other realms, into source, consciousness field, whatever we want to call it, as a birth of a new way of being able to relate. Right, right. It's a freedom from, I saw this, this guy on, I don't know his name and this is so bad because I should know his name because I loved what he was talking about on Instagram. I think his name was Jeffrey Allen. He was saying that we think that we have a body and that our body contains our soul. So we think that our soul is like, you know, bound into this body. And he said, but it's actually the opposite. It's our 
body is in our soul. Our soul exists outside of the body, Mm. within the body, above the body, around the body, Mm. underneath the body. Mm. Our body enters our soul and comes from that soul place. But our soul exists outside of our body and continues to exist when our body no longer does. Mm -hmm. And I had never heard anybody explain it that way, like our body just temporarily enters into the space of our soul. But I could picture it and I loved it. So two things now. One, I would love for us to talk about and for you to share a couple of the ways in which your relationship to your dad is still very much alive and the ways that signs that he shows up. Perhaps I was also curious, you know, for you, um, are there certain rituals or prayers or ways that you communicate with your dad and things like that? And the other thing, now you're going to have to bear with me because I want to try to find the words for what I'm trying to ask you here. With your dad, making it commonplace, speaking about death, speaking in a very light, clear way of his perspective of death. Now, leading up to his death, you know, like you said, he was traveling for three weeks to New Zealand and Australia with some of your other siblings, and he was on his global speaking tour and very much in good health. So bear with me because I'm just still trying to figure out what I'm trying yeah, to ask. Please. And, and Cookie is also giving me a very <laughs> extreme uh, kiss, kissing bath on my legs right now. Cookie, I love you. Let mommy focus here. Go say hi to Serena. Cookie. Go say hi, hi to where's Serena. My twin? We're matching. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm tuning in to what I'm trying to ask here. But he became, at some point, he had his own knowing, the knowing of his soon coming transition seemed to get activated in him. And there seemed to be different signs and expressions of that knowing coming up. One being him saying, I'm done writing books. Yeah. And then the next day, uh, the book titled, what was that one called? He wrote so many. The the last one. Well, the one um, about the Memories from Heaven, Memories of Heaven was the stories that people submitted about their child's remembrance Uh of a prior life. But his memoir, which I can see clearly now. So he he had decided to not write. And then the next day he comes up with, you know, a memoir style book (laughs) called I Can See Clearly Now. And all of a sudden he's back at the dining room table and your place in Maui writing again. And there were just So do you believe, do you have a clear knowing within your own being that at some point he knew that it was coming? On a subconscious level, yes. On a conscious level, no. Okay. I think that there is a part of all of us that I don't want to say has a knowing when we're going to die because it's not like I think that. I don't. But I think that we can. I think that we can if we're open to it. Right. And I think that he had on some subconscious level, Mm. he knew that his body time, his time in his body was going to be coming to an end. Mm -hmm. I don't believe he knew that on a conscious level. Okay. But I I think that he was spiritual enough and um, connected enough to not just God or source, but to himself and to the place inside of himself where God 
resides, that he, it's almost like I think that he could get like clearer guidance or maybe like clearer intuition or clearer understanding because he wasn't afraid mm-hmm. or closed off to mm. what he was going to find. Mm-hmm. So if, mm. if we have a fear of death and we're getting this like intuition that this could be happening or this could, could be coming up or something, but we are afraid of that experience, we are not going to pay attention. We are not going to listen to the signs. I see, yes. And I think that because he didn't have the fear, he wasn't so closed off from honoring that knowing that it was coming when he felt it. Mm -hmm. Makes total sense. And I also could feel what you were explaining. Mm -hmm. And so I would love for you to share a couple of the ways, because there's a lot of astounding examples in the book, you know, during your honoring ceremony of his life in the, in the ocean waters, that one's a good one. Um, Whichever you feel compelled to share the ways in which you two very much still communicate. Okay. So I could say that, um, on a silly, like lighthearted one, um, my daughter Sailor was sitting on the couch, biting her toenails. Okay, drives me insane. Mm-hmm. She has never seen anybody do that. She that is not a learned behavior. My dad also used to bite his toenails. How do you even <laughs> do that? I know. Well, he he did, and she does. And I was looking at her, and as I was looking at her. I felt like he said, see, still here. I'm showing her all the bad stuff that you said you were never going to let your kids do. Like in a silly way, I feel him through my children. Mm. I feel him in the things they do and say and the way they'll talk about him in a way that makes me think that they were just playing with Mm -hmm. him because, you know, children haven't been like conditioned to not believe anymore. Um, On a deeper level, I've had, uh, I had an incredible experience. I wrote about a little bit in the book about, going to a medium very soon after my dad had died. And the first thing she said to me was, she was my mom and my sisters and myself. She said, um, your dad is saying, congratulations, you're pregnant. And I said, like, I was, I was thinking like, well, you obviously don't have a gift because I just had a baby. I have, I have a six month old baby and my dad met my daughter. So, mm. you know, he wouldn't get those two confused. And I said, um, no, I have a baby. So I don't know if you're picking up on that, but no, I'm not pregnant. And my dad, so this was October, end of October. And my dad had died end of August. So this was within two months of his passing. I honestly couldn't remember that my husband and I had hooked up because I was just in a state of grief. It wasn't something, sorry, it wasn't something that I was wanting to do. It wasn't something that he was trying to do. Like, and I was drunk the night that it happened. So I didn't even remember that it did. It was like a margaritas like starfish like didn't even know we hooked up (laughs) but anyway that is a really good visual yeah starfish I was a total starfish (laughs) but anyway um so when she said I was pregnant I was like no I'm not but I have a baby she said no 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 your dad is he's pretty adamant you are and um and he's saying uh fourth of July fourth of July fireworks what's this about the fourth of July and fireworks and I was like I have no idea what you're talking about I was with my dad a lot on the fourth of July we would um watch the fireworks go off on Mm. Maui but like, I felt like I was reaching, you know? I was like, yeah. Like, if this is really my dad, like, I want something, like, really specific, especially given that he was somebody that talked about this all the time. And um, she's like, your dad is adamant. Fourth of July, you're pregnant. Something about Fourth of July. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not. 
So we, she ended up saying so many things to my mom and my sisters and myself that were so private that nobody would have known from like following my dad's work or they just never would have known Mm -hmm. some of these things that we knew she had the gift. So we ended up stopping, leaving her office, stopping and getting a pregnancy test. And it was positive. And my due date was the 4th of July. (laughs) I mean. And Windsor, Wayne. My daughter. That's a beautiful name. Thank you. I know. Poor girl. Sailor couldn't say Windsor because they are only um, 15 months apart to the day. And so Sailor couldn't say Windsor when she was a baby. So she said Wee Wee. Wee Wee. So so Wee Wee Wayne. That is so. Yeah. She was born on the 1st of July. That's incredible. And then, um, you know, the other story I love when you had the ceremony to honor his life in the, in the ocean waters where you all as a family spent a lot of time in Hawaii. And, um, you know, afterwards when you guys are paddling back to shore and, you know, give us a sign pops, you know, and you know, no feathers falling from the sky. You're not hearing whispers in the wind. And and then it wasn't until later the day, the next day. No, it was later that day. Um, my husband had stayed on the shore with Sailor, with our daughter, who because she was too little to go on a paddleboard mm-hmm. or a surfboard. So while he stayed on the shore, he took a bunch of pictures of us out there doing the paddle out for our dad. And when we got back to the shore, he was showing me some of the pictures and he said, I'll text them to you. So he got in the car with my brothers and I got in the car with my sisters. We were just mm-hmm. split up. And um, as the photos are coming in, And I'm like looking at them, you know, just scrolling through. I see that he took one photo of where we had just been for the paddle out. It was like we had just done the paddle out. We were now coming back in. Mm -hmm. He had taken a picture of where we had just done it. Where we just did the ceremony. Yes. And I looked at the picture and I said, holy shit. You guys, there's a face. And everybody was like. Let, let me see. You know, when you want to sign, you're like desperate. Like, do you see that like little thing? Like, right. Where the water gets darker right yeah. there. And everybody was like, oh my God, you don't even have to point it out. You don't even have to highlight it. It's so obvious, this face. And I think it was his way of saying, oh, you want like a, like a little dolphin to show up? Like, I think that's the best I can do. What? So people have to just trust that it happened when you tell them about it. Like, I'll give you something tangible that you can show everybody as proof that I'm still here. I'll put my face right in the water. So incredible. And so I feel like now is the perfect time to tell you something that Uh (laughs) I was, you know, when this happened a couple of days ago, I was like, oh gosh, do I bring this up? And I had a very clear knowing as soon as I asked myself that question that I, that I needed to, and I would, but I had one of the trippiest spiritual experiences. Okay. I'm excited. So it's two days ago, while Luke and I are renovating, we're in this temporary apartment just mm-hmm. down the road here, and there's a balcony. And so in preparing for your interview and writing my four pages of notes right. to ask you, I was sitting out on our on our balcony, and I had my laptop out, and I had your book out there, and I was just balancing in between tuning into the book and, and writing some questions. And I, I documented what happened because— oh my gosh. I really, I feel it. Wow. I'm like even feeling it as I'm about to, to share with you. It was, it was one of the most powerful spiritual experiences I've ever had. So I was really in the throes of the book, like really enjoying it and um, writing questions. And all of a sudden, I felt this 
really pronounced, powerful presence just envelop not just me on the balcony, but just all around the space. And I just had this knowing that it was your dad. <laughs> and he, so. I'm, I can't believe you questioned whether you should bring this up. I'm so excited right now. It's just such a personal thing, yeah, you know. Yeah, I love and it. I love it. So what did, what did he say? It was so strong. And he started to speak to me and he told me how much he admires my work and that I'm doing a very great job and that my book that's coming out is amazing. And then he started to, this is where I started to really feel his personality and his sense of humor. He goes, he's like, all happy to be a mentor for you on the other side, <laughs> if you would like that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like I couldn't pick a better <laughs> mentor, you know? And he was, you know, kind of like joking and it was so profound. I was moved to tears. And then I was just, you know, even as a shaman, like, because it's such a personal thing and it was your dad and it was while I was coming up with your questions, I just still wanted to do another check-in, you know, is this real? Is this really happening? And there was like, right when I opened my eyes, you know, those little like white puffy nature things that just float oh, through yeah. the air. Yeah, like the balls. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of those balls glided by and I closed my eyes again and I was just like, no, I need like, <laughs> I, I'm going to need another sign. Like, just please, you know, if this is, if this is really you, like, you know, let me know. And the second that I opened my eyes again, this black bird, there's a tree that's right in front of our balcony and this bird just jutted up into the sky from the tree. Oh my God. And I was just like, okay, all right. I believe, <laughs> I, I believe it's you. And then what started to come in, you know, after he was kind of joking, not joking about being a mentor for me on the other side, I got the instant download of what my next book should be. Really? It just came in. Are you allowed to share? I, you know, ah, I will after. Okay. After, okay. <laughs> I, I will tell you what it is, but it's even the topic, the theme of the book. It's just all really trippy how it goes into all of this together. And um, I just want to make sure I'm not forgetting. Um, what is um like in animal power and in like shamanic energy, mm -hmm. uh, animal things, what does a bird represent? Well, they're each different, you know, and, and that's where it gets a little tricky because I don't know if this one was a crow or a raven. I'm not sure. It was black, but it was also pretty small. And you know, the crow definitely represents the great mystery and, and it's a very potent shamanic totem. And it, it is a pretty darn big messenger if it was indeed a crow. But it was just so beautiful to feel him because I did not feel a sense of arrogance at all. I felt a real person. I felt him so down to earth. I felt his humility, but I also felt his like his joking manner <laughs> and his like silly goofy side. It sounds exactly like him. It was really beautiful. And I I'm so glad that you shared that because it reminded me that same medium that I was talking about that told me I was pregnant, she told me that my dad was saying that he has never been so excited that he can now help people mm. from the other realm in a way that he never could have before. And I feel like you getting that he wants to mentor you, it, it's like exactly what she was saying. He wants 
to, he wants to show up. He wants to provide and be there and teach and guide. Hmm. And because you're who you are and you're connected and um, you pay attention, you got that message so clearly. I forget sometimes that I can get that for me too. Mm-hmm. You know? It was so clear. You know, I, I just, as many check-ins and, and, you know, integrity checks that I did around it, I, I had the knowing. Mm-hmm. It was a complete knowing inside of me that I had yeah. just had a whole conversation and shared space with your dad. And so I will affirm here with you to your dad that I will graciously, humbly accept his offer to mentor me from the other side. So Wayne, (laughs) I'm sure you're here. Thank you for coming to me. Thank you for your kind words. And I I accept you being my mentor. (laughs) I'm very excited to see where this goes. Yeah, me too. I'm excited too. And and just so you know, when he uh, passed, the first dream that I had where I knew it was really him, there was a bird involved mm, in the dream. Okay. And it was a white bird, but it was, a, and so I've had things with birds with him a lot. Mm. And so I do actually think that he comes, my mom gets a red one. Interesting. Um, yeah. I've gotten a white one. I do think that he comes in the form of a bird a lot. And that would make sense for me because the crow, as I said, like, you know, all the power animals are shamanic, However, the crow is really representative of like right. the the shaman totem in in the bird world, right. you know, and the fact that it's black, you know, it represents the void, the great mystery, and all the things that shamanism is about. Right. So it would make sense that he would come to me as a shaman in the form of that black bird, and it's cool to know he comes up in in different colors for different people. Well, but he also, um, it just occurred to me that he also loved that song. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. He loved that song. Mm. So maybe that's what he was also saying to you. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. Mm. I will receive that in. I'm just going to sit with that for a second. Hmm. Interesting. Because I have been going through a really interesting phase the last couple of months. It's probably the most powerful up-leveling phase I've ever been in, to be honest. And um, that dead of night feeling, you know, in certain ways, I've been in that kind of space of just like such pausing and not, you know, all these invitations that Luke and I get, like Luke will say yes to them. And I just stay at home because I'm just doing so much inward work. Um mm-hmm. And I can feel like I've been in a very much like a gooey chrysalis phase with being in that dead of night, pausing, waiting, and I can feel the new things starting to emerge and like, wow. um, yeah, new things coming coming alive. So I'll keep oh you my posted. Gosh. What? what? You said um, when, Mason, when Mason died and the first dream I had with him after he died where I actually had a real visitation with him. I asked him if I could hold his hands and we held him, we touched. And then we had this whole thing. And I asked him if he loved me, if he would forgive me. And then he said to me, before I go, I have to tell you something. He said, Serena, new teachers are emerging. And, and I didn't know what that meant, but you just said, it's like emerging. I never hear people use that word. Mm. So the fact that you just said, it's like, you know, this new thing, this new part of you that's emerging. 
I got that exact same message from Mason when he said to me, new teachers are emerging. I thought it meant at first, when I first had that that dream, I thought it meant like I was going to be this new teacher and I was going to be like on this like big stage. Um, I came to understand that it meant new situations were going to be present in my life that could be teachers Mm. if I chose to view them that way. But Mm -hmm. new teachers, new experiences were showing up. But yeah, I mean, I I never hear that word emerging when people are talking about, you know, something emerging. It's usually like, I don't know, it's not not the way you just said it. It reminded me so much. Sorry to interrupt No, you. it's fine. No, it's beautiful to be in this river of, of, yeah, discussing all of this with you. It's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, before we start to get to the last little bit of our time together, I definitely want to honor your mom. You know, there was just something that came in so clear around that. And, um, you know, as you said, like she was a great teacher in her own way. Yeah, she was the, my dad had a great ability to take complicated, uh, like esoteric topics and bring them to like a wider audience. He was animated and charismatic Mm -hmm. and he was a great speaker and he was a great teacher. But my mom was innately wise. She didn't need to study any of these things to get it. She already has it. She already Mm. had it within her. And so in some ways, my dad was absolutely the student of my mom. That's so beautiful. And what else can we know about her? What's her name? Marceline. Marceline. I've never heard that name in my life. Yeah, I know. It's a, it was just funny because her her sister is Terry and her brother is Glenn. Like, I don't, <laughs> and her older brother's Rich. I don't know what my grandparents were like smoking right. when they had Marceline. That's so funny. But um, yeah, Marceline. She's from Pennsylvania. And so actually, I know what. Marceline is a variation of Magdalene. Mm. And I've always thought that she reminded me of this like sacred feminine energy. Like if Jesus was the sacred masculine. Mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene was the sacred feminine. She was the counterpart. I think that my mom's name is perfect for her because she is the sacred feminine for our family. Mm-hmm. And even though my dad got all the attention, um, it, you know, she was she was just as much, if not more, the the real sage. Because she really she really lived it. Yeah. She never fought it. He fought it. Mm. I fought it. You know, I never in a million years, it's not true. I always in a million years and never in a million years thought I would do something similar to what my dad was doing. It's like, I knew that I would, but I was so anti it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she was never, she never fought it. Yeah, that's interesting. I I definitely, yeah, I wanted to learn a little bit about her. And I love that, um, you know, they both instilled in you guys, they would put the sign up like, you know, mom's meditating for 20 minutes. Like none of you, none, none of you eight can, you know, come screaming down the hallway or, or knocking and you know, you guys always like visiting. I, I loved envisioning you guys like going to other like monks and hippies <laughs> houses and like, you know, sound, you know, gongs being played yes. and eating your vegan meals. Yes, and- our mung beans and our, our sprouts at our, our monk friend, uh, Frederick's house. Frederick and his sister was Menakshi. They were on Maui and, um, and he would have like his monk friends and we would go and they would want to chant Om and 
my mom would be the first one to not be able to keep it together. She would be the first one to start laughing, even though she was the one who was like, you know, insisting we all go and do these things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she's just a total hippie. Mm -hmm. And the thing that my parents both have or had or continue to have that really, to me, sets them apart, both of them in Mm -hmm. their own unique way, but they both have it, is a reverence for remaining childlike. Mm, So important. Yeah. And so I'm curious for you, now that you're a mom of three, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got your whole family unit and and like you shared a tiny little dollop of like you and your husband have, you guys have been through a lot. Yeah, a lot. Um, lot. You know, and I just in feeling into that a little bit, like how you guys endured that and and what that process must have been like. Um, It felt felt very big. So what do you instill? Like, what are some of the, and and when I ask this, like, I'm the first to get that some of the most profound and powerful spiritual practices and rituals and tools are the simplest of ones where like literally people are like, what's the key to how you are the way you are? I'm like, I sit at my altar and connect into great mother earth, my heart and great spirit. Like that's the key. (laughs) But I am curious for you, you know, you grew up you know, with a, a very famous spiritual teacher father and your mom, sage, you know, very deep sage in her own right, you know, visiting these monks and just having this spiritual way pretty much since you were born. So what is your version of that, you know, with your own, with your own self personally and also how it might be woven into the family? I would say that I do not have like a set practice. I really don't. But I... <laughs> I am always on the verge of laughing. Mm. And I don't know if it's like a genetic thing. I don't know if it's just like an adopted thing. But I find that whenever I can just get to that lighthearted, it's like the childlike energy, right? It's like remembering that we can always have fun. We can always have joy. We can always look at the rainbow as if it is the first time we have ever seen it. We can look at a balloon. Like when my two-year-old sees a balloon, you would think it was like, you know, sun rising over Mecca for him. It's like the most exciting thing in the world. And as adults, we forget to notice like just the beauty and the simplest, easiest of things. Why do you think joy is so important? Because I think that's how we connect to God. I think that joy is, that doesn't mean that I think you have to stay always in a state of joy, right? Because You wouldn't recognize darkness if you had never experienced light. So I think that joy is a a more similar frequency to love. Mm. So it doesn't mean that we can't have the opposite of joy at times. But what's our default mechanism? Is it fear Mm. or is it love? Oh, that's a good question that everyone listening should sit with right now. What is your default mechanism? (laughs) That one gave my heart a zip zap. That was a good one. That was a good little gem you dropped in there. I like when when you say like, oh, that was good. Because then I feel like, oh, what did I just say? (laughs) Then I can remind you. (laughs) So amazing. Well... Gosh, I really, I know you need to get back to the airport and I'm like quickly scanning my four pages. So I'm like, wait, we still have, I'll just have to have you on again some other time. But, um, you know, yeah. And my sister Sage would have 
been with me, but she just had a baby. Oh, congratulations yeah, to on her. On the 24th. So, oh. I mean, literally like five days ago. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. How beautiful. Yeah. Aww. Nine pound. Woof. I know. She's like 109 pounds soaking wet. So... How's she doing? Tore up. <laughs> Keeping it real here on Sarah My Circle. <laughs> she's doing great. She um, she's doing really well, and she's such a calm. She's such a calm, balanced mm. person. Like if I'm like the yappy Chihuahua, she's like the like, she's the cookie. She's like the calm dog. That's just like uh. we're so opposite. She's the Scorpio. I'm the Gemini. Like, okay. She's intense but serious passionate. I'm like a flake and flighty and talk a million miles a second. But um, but her calm, loving presence is so powerful mm. as a mother. She's such a good mom. Yeah. And um, I highly recommend, you know, to, for everyone to get the book, The Knowing, because there are some really good stories that she shares. The yeah. bumps yeah, included yes. like oh some like true miracle stories, mm -hmm. um, including that one I just uh, mentioned are, are in the book. So it's, it's such a good read. So before we get in, I don't know if you remember um, the mini ritual ceremonial offering. Yeah. Okay. The, the one that I was thinking, the one that I, because it's the only actual practice. Mm -hmm would be the Ho'oponopono prayer. You know, it's funny you say that because when we did that earlier, I was like, this could be the practice that she okay. offered. Because that was going to be my practice yeah. that I offered. But because I said it, I didn't know if I could say it again. Yeah, no, let's, we'll close with that because okay. I think it is so powerful. I mean, clearly that the story of the psychologist or psychiatrist, like, it, it can't hurt to yeah. uh, close our ceremony circle time with that. Before we do, I just want to cover this one quote that your dad um, really shared a lot. You don't get what you want. You get what you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the philosophy on which I was raised, which is why when all those bad things that were happening in my life, I was like doubly shamed because I thought that I must be bad if all of these bad experiences are happening. And now I have come to understand that if we come here, if we aren't, if we incarnate to grow, then the rungs of the ladder that we take to climb our way out of our own suffering and toward enlightenment, those rungs are often difficult experiences, challenges, loss, grief, fear. Those rungs are our escape to freedom. They are our greatest teachers. And instead of seeing all of these things that took place in my life as bad, I now see them as stepping stones, as rungs of the ladder, as gifts that I was given before I even incarnated in this lifetime because I came here to grow. Yes! <laughs> yeah! Mike will end on a mic drop moment because that is just the thing. I think it's most important to bring 
all of ourselves as a collective humanity, <laughs> all doing this earth walk together, the remembrance of we came, I call it earth school, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm sure I'm not the only one, but we came to learn, we came to grow, we came to evolve. It's not about getting it perfect. And that's why, and I'm not going to let myself get on a tangent because we're going to close the, with the prayer and then I'll let you get to the airport. <laughs> but it just, it, that's why I get so like juiced up or fired up around like, you know, the whole cancel culture thing. Cause I'm just, it's just, we're here. We're all here to learn and grow so we can handle this. Yes. And a very different essence. That, that cancel culture is so, let me just say this. It is so, it is so reminiscent of why those in glass houses should not throw stones because none of us are always our best selves. None of us are always coming from the, the best decision-making, the best thinking, the best way of being. We're all evolving. But imagine if we always had a camera on us and if we were only remembered or judged from our, our lowest points or our weakest points or our moments of shame. And let those people experiencing it, for those who allow it to not destroy, when they are in those trenches and they make the choice to not let it destroy them, but to transform mm -hmm. and ascend them, let that miracle happen. Because yeah. it's happened for me, my most anguishing lowest point was the moment where I had my spiritual awakening, which was simultaneously my most miraculous moment. Mm -hmm. It was my lowest and hardest and most miraculous. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, this is such a silly pop culture example, but like with the Britney Spears conservatorship, mm -hmm, then, you mm -hmm. know, and her speaking to that, which by the way, you know, go sister, go. <laughs> but, you know, and everyone's getting on uh, Justin Timberlake, like, oh, he was, you know, he was partially to, bl to blame for her demise or her mm -hmm. suffering. Well, can we just think for a second, perhaps I do, I've not ever personally met him, but there is the possibility that he has reflected upon that time right. a decade ago. Right. And what he is saying now, like in support of her could be genuine. Right. It's right. <laughs> I, I agree. It's like, we love to be judge, jury and executioner, but we forget that when I, when my dad says, you don't get what you want, you get what you are. It's kind of like that. It's like, leave the judging to somebody else so that you not be judged. Leave the condemning to somebody else so that you don't need to experience condemnation. Step away. In other words, it's like the, the Uber driver yesterday. I have no idea what she was going through. I have no idea what was happening to her or happened to her or mm -hmm. what she was feeling. And I'll never know. And it doesn't matter because I either could, and in every situation, we always can become like what it is we are seeking or double the shit we don't want. And get into that entanglement mm -hmm. and create a bigger web. Right. That we don't want to be in in the first place. And so we always have that, that ability to to put there what we are seeking and to become what we are seeking. Actually, I'll say, let me just say this. This is actually a better, better um, practice that I was, I had no intention of sharing, but I am going to. Oh, great. Perfect. When we were kids growing up, we had the prayer of St. Francis framed in the hallway uh, right outside of our bedroom. And one time my dad explained that 
the prayer of St. Francis is not just a prayer. It is a technology for how to live your life. Mm. And what that means is that St. Francis wasn't saying, dear God, you know, my boss isn't giving me any peace. My mother-in-law is doing all these things to me. I don't have any peace. Let me get a little peace. He's saying, dear God, let me be an instrument of thy peace. In other words, let me become an instrument of what it is I would like more of. Mm -hmm. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. So not, I don't like all this hatred that's here and you guys shouldn't hate and all your hating is really bringing me down. It's where that exists, let me bring the love. And it is in doing, in the St. Francis prayer, it is in doing that we receive. It is in giving that we receive. It is in becoming that we receive. Because you become in life what you are, Hmm. not just what you want. So if there's any prayer to ever have, it's, dear God, let me be an instrument of your love, of your work, of your peace, of your understanding. And if that is not here, let me put it here and I will find it and I will give it to others and I will become it. And um, I mean, if there's ever a recipe for how to live your life, it's that. Become like what it is you are seeking. Offer it. Mm. Offer it always. Oh, I love that so much. That is the perfect way to seal and close this fun and powerful and sacred container that we we shared with everyone sitting with us today. And, you know, perhaps if you want to continue to sit with that prayer that Serena just shared and, you know, we're about to be done and close. So maybe you meditate on that further journal on that, do, you know, stream of consciousness writing on what comes up for you and you when you feel into that space like areas where you can can be that and go a little bit deeper with what she just shared and see what reveals (laughs) (sighs) i just got all this red flush on me because i was just feeling that so strongly i could feel like this see this redness Mm -hmm, i I just felt the flush come over me when you said that to feel into it i was like i feel it oh good (laughs) yeah it's making me a little hot yeah i feel it getting hot in here on some saint francis prayers or (laughs) whatever saint francis technology (laughs) oh yeah so good i had such a fun time with you thank you yeah thank you thank you for your honesty and like yeah yeah so much everything but being a um really cool container where we can talk about death and your dad's death and your stepson's death and it doesn't have to feel wonky and weird and mm-hmm. forbidden and yeah there's nothing to fear it's only love <sighs> all right guys <laughs> thank you so much thank you Woo! what a powerful voyage that was it is just my greatest honor. It brings me so much joy and activates and lights up my soul to be able to sit with these incredible embodied, true spiritual masters and leaders from all over the world. 
I ask that you please, if you feel called, continue to support them and their work in whatever way that feels aligned for you. Please go to my website where all the show notes are listed, www.allisoncharles.com. That's www.allisoncharles.com so that you can access their direct links to their website and social media platforms and additional information about them. And remember, what makes Ceremony Circle so unique is that at the end of every single episode, as you just experienced, we immerse in a powerful ceremony, ritual, invocation, prayer, spiritual song, some sort of activation that the guest feels called to offer on that day. So listen to your intuition. If at any point moving forward, you feel called to come back and re-immerse in this guided ceremonial experience, do so. Because I guarantee every single time you experience it, you will receive a new medicine transmission, a new awareness, a new awakening aspect within your soul. It has been an honor voyaging with you Please keep the Ceremony Circle community vibes growing and activating. Find me on Instagram at I am Allison Charles. And let me know how you enjoyed this episode. Let me know how you are creating your own sacred Ceremony Circle space. Tag those in your soul fam who are immersing in the Ceremony Circle episodes and experiences with you. And let's unite in the next episode coming out next week so we can continue to activate the consciousness energies of planet Earth and the universes. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.